Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Gross Podcast. I hope that wherever you're listening to this, that it finds you healthy and safe and, and happy and that your loved ones are feeling the same. You know, the episode this week is really about so many things. Um, it sort of came unexpected, this interview, um, the way that we found each other and and uh, sort of serendipitously as I was going through and navigating grief, uh, this lovely woman shared a quote with me that was really resonant and then that led to a conversation. And then this, this invitation to us as we listen to her story of transformation, which I'm so excited for you to hear. And, you know, it's not just about bringing on people who are experts in certain areas of psychology or relationship or whatever that is, but about real human transformation, real human experience, because that's what we really see ourselves in. We see ourselves in the vulnerability and the stories of other people. That's why stories are so powerful, because they teach us lessons through narrative and it's so much easier to learn through those than just, uh, you know, information that is dumped in front of you. And so this is a story of transformation, a beautiful story that I think we can all relate to. And, you know, as you listen to this episode, I want you to check in with the parts of yourself with the experience that you might have or be having or have had that are about your own what is a breakdown? What is a rock bottom? What is the loss of a job, a relationship, a, just a moment where you believe all is doomed? But what really occurs in those moments is, you know, as we experience the breakdown, it is always followed by a breakthrough if we hold, if we stay the course, um, which doesn't mean it's easy. It's certainly not true. And we can't see the blessings that are being born through the rock bottom. You know, we can't see the blessings when we're in the shit. All we do is smell shit and feel shit, see shit. But that, man, there's always, uh, that's, you know, that's where the flowers are born. That's where all of our rising comes from. You know, we rise like a phoenix from the ashes. And gosh, when we look back, right, I think it's uh, Steve Jobs who said, you can connect the dots looking back but you can't connect to moving forward. You can't see where the line's being drawn and all the serendipitous invitations and nature of life that you are being invited to become so much more. Being invited to grow and to expand should you accept the invitation from your challenges and your struggles, not to minimize them, but to look at them with curiosity. And so I hope that this episode invites you to do just that. This lovely woman, Yoda, is her name. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. It was a beautiful conversation of her own transformation and her own experience. And wow, what a time to be alive. Deep breaths. Um, wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe so that you get copies of all new episodes. You get notified when they're coming out. So hit the subscribe button on wherever you listen to this. I can't wait to continue this journey with you of my own unfolding, your unfolding, our unfolding the collective. Let's do this. I am joined today by Yoda, which that sounds, I mean, when you say Yoda's going to be, you better have his voice. I do not. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's waiting. So I, I know I asked you this offline, but I think everyone needs to hear it. What Yoda, that's your real name. 
It is. It's Ukrainian. You know, I hated it so much when I was a kid. I got made fun of more than you can possibly imagine, but I love it now. It sets me apart. <laughs> so Yoda is Ukrainian name. I never actually knew that. I feel though that as I mean, I would imagine as a kid growing up, that's a hard name to have, but what a actual cool name in the end when people mature and they're like, it's my friend Yoda. Yeah. I often say if people ask me for a business card, I say, oh, just, just Google me. Like you don't, I don't even need business cards. Just Google Yoda food. You'll find me. <laughs> that's so awesome. And you're a chef. I am. Yeah. I've been a professional chef for the last um, like 15 years or so. And for the people listening, Yoda and I were connected via, well, when I went through my breakup, she sent me a really lovely quote that was a difference in perspective on how we might think about breakups. So do you want to share that quote? Yeah, I um, I actually heard it. I was at a psychic reading and um, the the woman expressed this to me. And as soon as I heard it, I just thought of you because it was the perfect way to explain sort of how you were choosing to deal with all the hardships of a breakup. So what she said to me was, you should try to leave your relationship the way that you would leave a house that you wanted to sell. So when we're, you know, when we have a house, even though we're leaving it, but we want to sell it, we take care of it. You know, we wash the windows, we clean the carpets, we, you know, take care. And if, if that's not our goal, sometimes, you know, you leave it a mess and you leave it you know, broken windows and, and all those things. But I think it's a really good message to say, take care, um, even if it's the end. It's such a different way. Of course, we think about that generally, I think, when we sell a house, because we want to get the most amount of money for right. it. There's like a, yeah, there's like a selfish intention, of course, but it's a real intention. I don't mean to shame it. But the thought of leaving a relationship and wanting to leave the other person intact right. is totally foreign, right? Like. Yeah. In my breakup, I I couldn't even access, like, even though obviously there's like a contemptuous part of me, there's a part of me that's angry, a part of me that's frustrated, a part of me that doesn't feel life's fair. And I had to reach into grace every single time I wanted to express that part of me. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, well, sometimes it's it's about leaving the other person intact and but it's and about leaving your story intact with that person. It's about leaving your own integrity intact too. Like if you're the kind of person that, you know, you sell a house and it's like half dilapidated, you know, to me, even if you get a lot of money for that house, it's not, it just shows a lot about your character. Right. And the same thing goes for a breakup. Even if you and us aren't going to be friends and you're, you know, not both willing to do the work and, you know, have a ceremony and, and do whatever, you know, you can to keep that story of yours intact. I think it just shows a lot about the person's character. Yeah, I think it's, well, because there was so much love mm -hmm. and is so much love between us, it was it was like there was no other choice. So in a lot of ways, it was a gift in that I I had so much care and, and thought for her that I, could, I, I couldn't be that other version of me. I remember one time I texted something while we were like, you know, doing the the breakup yeah. details of the of the stuff. And I remember sending a text and my friend was with me and he's like, uh, I think you could have like maybe done that a little nicer. Mm. And I was like, uh, and I sent a message. I'm like, sorry, I'm angry. Yeah, But, but you're conscious of that, right? Like that's the difference is your self, your self-awareness is there. Right. And that's a huge piece. I heard another quote that was like, you can tell a lot about a person by how they act when they don't get what they want. 
And I was like, oh, damn, that is so true. And, you know, sometimes sometimes you think you know someone, even if you've been through conflict with them. And then around breakup time, it's like, oh, my God, this person is like somebody who I never thought they were. This person is a monster. What's well, the ultimate wound? Yeah, yeah, it's the ultimate rejection, the ultimate wound. Yeah. Uh, re, you know, dug back up of all the times we haven't been present to our past breakups. Yeah. So you know, like who, you know, there's sayings like to get over your ex, get under right? the next. Like we just basically play leapfrog from person to person and never sit in the space between those two. It combined with the fact that I I don't drink anymore. It was like I didn't have any escapes. Right. I wasn't, you know losing my mind in someone else's flesh. I wasn't doing anything, although don't get me wrong, I had all those <laughs> desires. I can, you know, craved a scotch, but it's like yeah. to take the edge off. Well, you are, you know, so you to are speak. human, so <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And the there's a quote as you were saying that other quote, I thought you were gonna say this quote that I I love, which is you can tell a lot about a person by how they leave things. Totally, you can. And that's that's really the message that when I sent you that um, originally months and months ago, I was just thinking of that because I was so proud of um, that message you were sending to say like the cer- the beautiful ceremony you guys had to close the relationship. I just thought, man, if everybody could just do a small version of that when they leave anything, they leave a job, they leave a relationship, they leave a house even to do it on your own, you know, like I, I recently went through a breakup mm-hmm. myself and I, I knew that that person wasn't going to meet me there and do a ceremony with me, even though, and I had to, you know, let go of my attachment to that. But what I did was I did the ceremony by myself and I sat in the quiet on my mat and I'm on my yoga mat. And I, um, you know, I spoke to them even though they weren't there. And I said what I needed to say. And I said, thank you. And I said, I forgive you. And I said, you know, I'll always have love for you. And just doing that, like, I don't think I could let go of this person. If I'm like, if I'm not willing to do that, you know, just like I think if you were to leave a house in shambles, you know, it's to sort of prevent yourself from feeling that hurt. You know, it's like a band aid. It's another one of our vices that we use, like you said, like, drinking and, and all these things, but you can follow your you can follow your vices after a breakup and see exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. Exactly where you like, whatever you're doing, like the most potent um, lesson that you pick up in those moments of deep hurt, that is where your work is a hundred percent. And sometimes you don't want to see it. Like being a person who's like, (laughs) I, I just, I need a drink, you know, even if you don't have a drinking problem, but you've gone through like just a rough day and you're like, oh, I need a drink. It's like, look at that. Follow that. It's a clue. Yeah, I 100% agree that the things that you, because we often let go of healthy anchors when we're going through change and transformation, we lose something and then we stop going to the gym. We stop eating well. We stop nurturing ourselves. All of a sudden we're like, let's really burn this ship down. Let's bring it down. Let's light the tequila on fire. Let's shoot it. Let's not use protection. Uh, I mean, sexual protection. Let's just hump everybody. That, that one, I mean, we're already in the shame That one spiral. is such a huge one. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and we were talking about like this world of casual dating and how it can be really fun and kind of healing. But it's like, I said kind of like, I really think like if I have time to casually date, multiple people at the same time, like if you're doing that, no judgment, but if you have time to do that, then you have time to like go to a yoga class and meditate and like 
listen to an inspirational podcast and write in your journal. So it's kind of like you got to look where you're putting your time and energy because the other things are so much more healing. They just like take longer. (laughs) Yeah. And they require sitting with yourself, you know, like if you have time for someone to go down on you, you got time to meditate. (laughs) I mean, someone could argue that they are both, that it is meditative. Once perhaps, you know, I mean, yeah, that's true. The but that is so easy in the experience of loss and change to go into that space. And I, I also want to honor that sometimes there are relationships that are literally dilapidated and houses in shambles, and the walking away is the right thing. But it's still the place where you still send love in return. You're not staying to fight for things. You're not trying to repair the house that's irreparable because, of course, people who are used to be who are in codependent relationships, date addicts, you know, that continued permission, often through the lens of that experience, you'll hear conversations like this and be like, oh, I got to go back and repair. And now I have permission to get back into contact. I am, we are not giving you permission to get back in contact. You know, if you're doing that, own that shit, because the hard work is the standing still and not, and letting the house go with grace. Still, it's grace. Grace for yourself, though, to not always have to abandon yourself to save people. So you've experienced some life transformations. Yeah, just a little bit. (laughs) So when did you start out as a chef? Um, So I kind of knew right after I, um, well, I took a year off after high school. I wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do. And actually had uh, my parents separated um, when I was 18. And it was during that year that I was, um, they were, you know, the couple that stayed together till the kids were out of school. Because for some reason, that seemed like, I mean, I have a lot of compassion and love for my parents and think that they did the best that they could. But definitely, you know, when you're 18, I don't think it's any easier than when you're eight or 15 or whatever. But um, my parents got divorced or separated. My mom moved out and I stayed at home with my dad and uh, we were just hopeless. Um, neither of us knew how to cook. We ate, you know, craft dinner and frozen pizzas every night for weeks, months. And then one day I was like, all right, like I need food. I need sustenance. I need something that is going to like not come from a box. And so I tried to make dinner. You know, I made, um, I remember exactly what I made. I made my mom's pot roast recipe. I didn't have the recipe, but I watched her make it, um, enough times. It turned out, it turned out a total disaster. Like I literally made it now being a chef. It's like embarrassing to tell the story because I made it basically in the exact opposite way that one would make a pot roast, but my dad ate it. He ate it. We sat down at the table and we had a conversation and we ate it. And then the next day I made something else. And the next day I made something else. And then, you know, a couple of months of that later, I was like, I think I want to be a chef. Like, I think I want to do this for, with my life. And yeah, like more or less the rest is history. I went to culinary school the season after that and uh, was on my journey into the fine dining world. Yeah, it's so fascinating how the the mess, like our pain becomes this yeah. this super highway to like you, you don't realize the gift in the change when really the gift in the change is this is actually what you're meant to do and this is what you're meant to deliver pe- to people. But we have to get you to notice that through delivering this experience to you. And I don't know who they is. We'll just call that Yoda, the other Yoda. 
I, I, I used to, I used to feel a lot of pain when I told that story, you know, I used to, I used to not want to share if you asked me, you know, a decade ago, Oh, how'd you get into cooking? I would have had a very different answer, you know, but that's the truth. The truth is, is like was born from my parents' separation. It was born out of desperation, out of, I wasn't having a need met. I was hungry, literally, emotionally and physically hungry. And I mean, what a gift. I, I It's difficult because I think the, um, that story is a public story now. And um, my mom has heard that story and she kind of, says like, oh, do you really have to tell that story? And I'm like, I Does know. Does she say you're welcome? Well, I, I don't know if she's there yet, but she kind of says like, I, I've explained to her, I said, I'm grateful to you yeah. for, you know, for everything. Because had this not have happened in that way, who knows what I'd be doing now? You know, maybe I still would have found my joy for cooking, but there was a, the the biggest gift that came out of that um, separation for me as a young woman was I found my true like my true passion in life when I was 18 years old you know yeah it's fascinating because it's like the the divorce which societally is seen as a no don't ever do that don't is actually the breaking of we'll just call it generations of inherited not telling the truth not right. not owning dysfunction not so yeah. You know, getting divorced then now connects the whole family to this space of vacancy. Yeah. It's like, who are we when we're not a family unit, when we're not? Right. And we get so stuck in that, like, it should have never happened. You should have never left. Right. We should have never ended things or my parents should have never got divorced. And we miss all the blessings because we're course, so afraid yeah. of that. We're afraid of seeing blessings in pain and transformation and endings. But there's that's that's really all that's left, you know, is is in the desecration of, of the pain. And I was listening to a talk the other day and the guy said, we have this idea that when we get high, we're connected to God or to something. Mm -hmm. But why is that different than we when we are low? Like, why does there have to be a difference oh, between those? You always have access to God or the higher, whatever your experience is. It's just that you think you've created a belief that it's only through elation but it's actually through mm -hmm. the groundedness of grief which is such a different way of seeing it it's in it's in finding those gifts in your suffering absolutely like it took me years to find compassion for my mother for leaving but um that's a whole other podcast yeah. episode i'm sure but what <laughs> when i finally realized like i remember the moment i was in an interview and they asked me like how'd you get into cooking and in my head i was just like fuck it. I've told this fake story so many times. It's time. And I just said, here's what happened. And I told the story and I knew like, Hey, my mom might be hurt. But when we finally talked about it, I, I just expressed my gratitude. I said, you know, our story as a family, it's not a normal one, but it's a beautiful one. And because of it, like, look at everything that happened. I'm a chef. I serve people through food. I have a career that I love. I can't say that that would have happened had you not done what you did. So yeah, finding that, that beautiful little nugget that's in that, um, that suffering is, yeah, that brings me, that's probably when I feel closest to spirit, you know, is when, is when I'm um, living in that realm for sure. Yeah. That space of, of gratitude, but still connected to the pain. Mm -hmm. Which is, I mean, that's bridging and both, which is the only way to be. Otherwise, you're ignoring one or the other. 
And sometimes people say, people like when you're in a moment of deep suffering, like after going through a breakup or trauma or death or, or whatever, people will say to you like, oh, you'll, you'll see it differently someday. Or they'll, they'll say like, time heals all wounds, you know, these cliches we know. And the thing, the reason people say those is because they're true. But when you're in it and someone yeah. says that to you, it's like, what? Like, it's, like, fuck it's hard you. to, you're like, why are you, how could you be yeah. sensitive? I know I went through that. And, um, you know, people would say things like that to me. And I would just like, how dare you? And then you get to the, you, you cross the threshold eventually and you say, oh shit, my parents' divorce was really a thing in disguise and everyone was right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You don't usually get there till you get there. You know, hearing totally. it though, I think like I heard a lot when I was going through my breakup, a lot of people would say, I'm really sorry that you're going through this. And I even had a hard time receiving that because I wasn't sorry. I was, I was deep in the grief, but I was, I was so wide open that I wasn't sorry. I had gratitude. It was like, I needed this. I don't know why I needed this. I don't like that I needed this. And why did it have to come in this fucking container? But I'm here and I can't change that. So it was hard for me because in a traditional world where we reject pain and we are avoidant of negative feelings, to say, sorry, you have negative feelings is a common, right? That's just normal right. for us because we're like, hey, you're sad. You should go get a pill because sadness is means something's wrong with you. Right. And, and, and don't get me wrong, there are times when people need that stuff, but I'm just saying that we we are very negative. We avoid negative emotions, so we avoid right. the gifts. Can I ask if there like is there something you would have preferred? Like what what would you say, I guess, in, to someone who is going through a, a really hard time instead of like, I'm sorry you you're going through this breakup. Is there something that's better, I wonder? Like I know for me, I, I say to just I always say to people, I'm listening. You know, people, people need to hear that. They need to hear that they're heard. I was sitting on my, on my couch with my friend the other day and she was kind of telling a really detailed story and going on and on and on. And then she kind of stopped herself and said like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm rambling. And I did, I didn't want to say like anything other than I'm listening, you know, or I'm here is maybe better than saying, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's perfect actually is just, I'm here for you if you need me. Mm -hmm. Because for me, when someone's going through a breakup or someone dies or something happens, you can't change that. So I don't say like, I, at least consciously, maybe someone's going to be like, you said that to me, I'm going to get a <laughs> message. But what I try to do is catch myself in the, let me know if you need anything. Yeah, You know, it, it's, you, you can't really till someone's ready, say there's gifts in this for you when yeah. you see them, but. Oh God, if you send that to someone who's just oh. had something happen, they're like, you know what? There's gifts in telling you to fuck off. And I'm oh, really excited totally. about that. Totally. You know, <laughs> so I get that. Yeah. So you, I mean, you discovered this gift, you mm -hmm. started to do it. Then you obviously I'm getting, you know, go to chef training. So yeah, I went to culinary school and I just, just loved it. I was just so in my element. I was absorbing. I mean, I was quite young. I was 18, 19 and then I started, you know, my career in the fine dining world, which is, you know, when you're in it um, or when you're a culinary student, that's all you want. You want to own your big fancy restaurant someday and be the boss and wear a chef's hat. And you want to you want what you see on TV, you know, TV kind of glamorizes 
like what, like, I'm sure we, like all of your listeners are like, if you, if you say like, what, what do you think of when you think of a chef? It's like, you think of like Gordon Ramsay and think of a guy yelling kind of right. I was emotional dysfunction. That's what I think. of. Right. So I, I learned, I learned about um, the industry that I was so in love with sort of after um, we'd been dating for a couple of years, I, uh, I learned about um, it's dysfunction and it's uh, it's a tough, tough industry. It's um, very demanding physically, you know, you're on your feet for 12, 14 hours a day. It's often wow. very hot. It's cramped. Um, I had a client once that was a, a surgeon, like a really on-demand surgeon. And they said, oh, like, you're probably on your feet more than me, though. And I was like, yeah, probably. You know, it's it's anybody who's had any kind of service job, whether you're like a waiter or a waitress or a bartender, you know how it, how it is. You work these long hours, usually for minimum wage or sometimes kind of less, you know. And tempers run high when you're in those conditions, right? People aren't sleeping well. And, you know, it's no... Um, mystery why, you know, substance abuse is super common in the chef world. Um, you know, Anthony Bourdain is a really famous author who spoke um, pretty uh, frequently about that. Um, and yeah, I think just, he was also a heroin addict, right? Like he well, got to that place, and, but he was he, sober, I know, uh, at, at one point. Yeah. And he, he spoke about it very candidly and said, like, this is how I made it through a work day, you know? And, um, I kind of knew these things to be like the reality, but it didn't hit me until I was fully in the industry and I was working as, you know, a cook in in a fine dining restaurant. And I did it for a few years. And eventually I was like, I I mean, just my body was, um, yeah, I was just so sore every day. I'd wake up and be like, oh man, me too. I feel like I'm 50, you know, and Mm -hmm. I had no time to fit in a yoga class or, stretching um so I would just pound coffee all day I remember I used to like get up and I'd have like four cups of coffee and like an apple and then I'd go work for like 12 hours and then I'd just eat like whatever was there like french fries bread like just get get the food in you and then we'd go up for after work and then you do it all the next day six seven days a week you know um and that is a reality what I'm speaking of like that's not unique for me that's the reality for a lot of people who work line cook jobs um, and eventually I kind of had enough and I said like I want more to life than this and I kind of looked at my options and it was like I could stay in this until I work my way up somewhere or I could do my own thing you know I was an entrepreneur when I was growing up and I thought I had some friends that were opening small businesses and stuff and I just thought like if I'm gonna work this hard I don't want to do it for someone else. I will work this hard, but I want to do it for me. So it took a it took a while, but eventually I I left my my full time kitchen job and I I launched my own catering company. And the world of catering is very different because you know catering means somebody contacts me and says, you know, we'd like this amount of food for the amount of people, and if I don't want to do it, I just say like, sorry, I can't, <laughs> or sorry, I'm yeah. booked. Um, and the overhead costs are a lot, are a lot less as well. So I started doing that. And eventually I noticed this balance coming back to my life. I had no idea what the word like work life balance meant, but I knew it was good. Like I knew that (laughs) I knew that living a life that included like things that I loved, 
you know, being active, eating healthy, walking my dog, seeing my family, they weren't going to be possible if I wanted to be a fine dining chef. So I kind of let that go and, and opened my own business instead. And it was great, you know, um, for it was hard as anybody who owns a small business will tell you, it was absolutely um, the most risky thing I'd done in my career, but it paid off. And at that time as well, I met my, my partner um, and we sort of, it was just like the perfect timing for my life. We, you know, moved in together and got a dog and we're just living this like domestic bliss. And I was like, I am set for life over here. Like I'm 26. I've got my dream job. It's going well. I'm financially doing well. I have this beautiful family and this work-life balance that, you know, everyone that I knew was kind of striving for. And I was like, I did it. I don't like I've arrived. (laughs) And then we decided to open a restaurant. <laughs> um, mm, the opposite of work life. Right. Um, and it was a huge shock to everyone in my life. I remember telling my friends and my parents, like when I told them, they were like, um, we thought you were done with that. Like we thought you were, you know, really happy, you know, doing this other thing. And I was, um, but that's where the story kind of takes, um, a bit of a crazy turn. So my, uh, my partner at the time, that's what, that's what he wanted. He wanted to open a restaurant and I wanted to give him what he wanted in this life because I was in love. Was he a chef too? He was not. So we were kind of the dream team in the sense that I was going to be the chef and he's a sommelier. So he was going to do the wine list oh, yeah. and the bartending and all of that. So we met at work um, a few years before and, you know, um, he was my dream guy and I fell very head over heels very quickly in love. It was my first, like, you know, I'd been, I'd had relationships before, but this was very different. It was a very intense relationship, that roller coaster, young, you're in your twenties, you fight all the time, you make up all the time. I wouldn't describe it now as a healthy relationship, but at the time I was just so so blinded, you know. Um, I love everything mm-hmm. you ever mention about red flags because I'm like, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's amazing how much we don't see when we have those love goggles on. Yeah, how much we have. Well, yeah, and how much we've been uh, like, even just from our childhood, we learned to ignore red flags. So, gosh, when you get oh, into relationships, yeah. they're all over the. But there could be a base camp at Everest, and we're like, this is so good. I mean, I love how inconsistent oh, yeah. this and person I, is. And I didn't, really I didn't great. know what health, what a healthy relationship. I didn't have a great um, example of what a healthy, a really healthy relationship looked like then. I didn't know the language. I didn't know like, oh, this is like super codependent behavior, and this is like gaslighting, and this is love bombing. I didn't have that language, so I didn't really know anything was like really that wrong. I just thought. I love this person. He loves me. We're going to start a life together. So yeah, like, let's do this. Let's do this thing that I don't really want to do that. My heart is kind of screaming, like, don't do this. But um, I did it anyways. (laughs) Oh man. That feeling is, is people, hopefully people listening have, I'm guessing any, everyone listening has done that, Mm -hmm. you know, done something that your body's like, don't. And you're like, I'll just numb my way through this experience. And 
my engagement yeah. was that when I was 27 and it wasn't because the yeah. person wasn't great. It was just how my soul was feeling. And, and it usually I find that usually the thing that the body's screaming no to usually is a no to something that is societally or taught in our story. So like it's so taught for a woman, but also men too and humans to take on someone else's dream as their own to want to make a man happy is pretty normal from a hereditary systemic lens. And also to go against like, Hey, I'm supposed to have this fleeting romance and it's supposed to lead to marriage by 30 and I'm supposed to have kids. And I mean, you put all those things together and it's like reclaiming yourself against the current of the systems and the chaos of, of acceptance and self-worth is it's the ultimate act yeah. of rebellion and it's yeah terrifying. there's there's definitely i mean there's so much so much you just said like that ego piece as i think it's i don't know if it's more active when we're young or something but like for me it was this huge ego piece of not only this is my man i need to make him happy but also my my life's path everybody what what it was in black and white was that like i go to chef school I work in the industry until I move up. And then someday I open my own restaurant. That is the goal for a young chef. Yeah. And that was my goal too, until it wasn't, you know, until I saw the realities of the industry I was in. But what happened was, was when he and I met, we had the same dream and we talked about it on our first date, like talk about fairy tale, right? We talked about it on our first yeah. date and we had this huge fantasy of what, our restaurant that we are going to open someday is going to look like down to the color of the chairs and the curtains and everything. And then fast forward a few years, my dream changed, but his didn't. Instead of honoring myself and what I wanted and my intuition, I said, nope, you guys are getting shut off and I'm going to go down this path with this person and give them what they want, completely ignoring my own needs. Like, I didn't know what a boundary was at that point. I didn't know, you know, how to speak my mind. My body knew, because I remember on the first day, or on the day we signed the lease, um, I there was all these people there, there was like a lawyer and a, the landlord and this proxy guy. And we're all sitting there and they're all waiting for me to sign this piece of paper. But my hand was shaking so bad because I was so like my body, my insides were like, what are you doing? You don't want to do this. And I was shaking so bad when I signed the lease, they wouldn't take the signature because it wasn't legible. And they, and they had to go wow. and print another piece of paper so I could sign it again. God. If the universe oh wasn't gosh. communicating, it's like my body you know? knew my body was like, you know, like, Hey, it's like, we're not but then this that shit. didn't work. So then my body just kind of started like, just not breaking down, but I, I developed this like super serious shoulder pain that every doctor I saw said it was nothing. And it was like in my head. And of course, when someone tells you that that's like as bad as someone being like, Oh, time heals all wounds. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And in your head usually means right. in your heart, Absolutely. like there's something going on emotionally. If doctors can't figure it out, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means they don't know how to measure what Absolutely. needs to be measured, which is really yeah. internal. They, yeah. You know? I, I had a friend come up to me once. I was, I was wearing a sling. So 
we opened the restaurant and we were super duper busy, but I was dealing every couple weeks or months, I developed this like mystery, um, like pain in my body, but I had this horrible shoulder injury and I had my arm in a sling. I had this friend come in and she's a yoga instructor and she knows a lot about, um, body work and where we store emotions and everything. And she came up and said, like, she was trying to be helpful. She said like, Hey, did you know that, um, if you have pain in the right side of your body, it's probably something to do with the masculine energy in your life. And I was just like, you think like, <laughs> like, of course that's what's happening. I mean, I couldn't admit it at the time. At the time I was just trying to numb my pain in any way that I could. What did that mean for you? Well, at the time it meant, um, it meant alcohol for sure. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I haven't had any treatment or anything, um, for the, that phase of my life where I was definitely, but I would say I was definitely like medicating heavily with alcohol. Um, for me, busyness. Yeah. And business for for me, it meant mostly just ignoring, um, ignoring the problem was sort of how I dealt with it. So, um, that works. So it doesn't, (laughs) I'm I'm curious what, what the masculine energy uh, meant for you. Yeah, Like, cause that could be your own masculine energy. That could be the energy of masculinity in your life. Right. So, Um, so what I'm I'm referring to there. So, um, I've kind of, um, skipped over the part of the story where um, my partner and I kind of like, we decided to open the restaurant together. Although it, you know, it wasn't, we were a partnership and I thought we were going to get married and he was my person and, you know, he was it for me. Unfortunately, um, he, you know, we didn't have a healthy relationship and he had some, um, you know, issues that he hadn't dealt with from his past. And, um, he had some, I don't really want to call it like a wandering eye because I feel like that implies like an affair that two people are involved in. So he had sexual energy that was not contained and faithful to the relationship. That is the best way I've ever heard it described. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, because it's so easy to leak sexual energy right. without actually um, having an action that's yeah. leaky. You can have it just by yeah. walking by someone who the gender or whatever it is you're attracted to and give them a look that's a little longer than you're supposed to. And, and I'm, and I'm familiar with those things. I mean, I'm not a perfect person when I'm in a partnership. I'm not, I I mean, nobody's perfect, but he had a history. It's normal to desire other people. Desire is one thing though. So this was not that. So this was beyond yeah. design. We had he had a history. He had been unfaithful in our relationship a few times before okay. we opened the restaurant. But again, we were so young and he was do he had um he had mastered like the art of love bombing. Like we would he would do something bad and then he would like sweep me away and take me to California for a week and by the end of it we'd be, you know, back where we were and for people listening, that is that is where we start to meet our needs with wants. So we need security. We want a ring. We need security. We want a trip. And that love bombing is like the classic, like Houdini. Oh, yeah. Like, don't pay attention to this. Here's something lavish. Here's your dream date. Here's, oh, you yeah. know, whatever it is. And it's it's so painful to look back on it. I've done a lot of shame work and um, I've done a lot of therapy and healing work on this. But even still telling it now, it's like. I feel so stupid for falling for it, but it is so powerful when you are in a position of 
being your emotional state is weakened because of conflict or um, abuse or whatever, it is so easy for somebody to give you a compliment, give you a small gift, you know, something like that to totally take your mind off the problems that are actually there. And he was just a master. Like, oh, I, I've, I, you know, if I were to list all of the, I would never do that to myself. But if I was going to, you know, it's like you name it, you know, he did it. Yeah, when we, when we give, which is so, that's the response, the taking responsibility when we tell the story. But of course, there's so much pain in in the experience. So I'm not dismissing that. But in the, when we give how we feel our about ourselves to someone else's words and actions, then it's so painful. And what we do is we depend on them for the love and the words that keep us our self-worth intact. And then they deplete it and they replete it. And that's how abuse cycles happen. That's how empaths and narcissists end up together. That's codependency. That's all the things. Yeah. And um, of course, now that a lot of time has passed and, and I've done a lot of work on it. I can see those things so, so clearly, but like I said, when you're in it, so hard to see. for a long time, I, I was just like, Oh, I was so young. And that definitely plays a part. But I think it was that I had been uh, broken down so much. My worth had been mm. just decimated, you know, and he was in control. He was in control of how worthy I felt about myself. And the only thing I was really getting any sort of I wouldn't even call it joy, but the only thing I was getting, taking any pride in or getting any sort of um, sense of worth from was the restaurant at that time. And we, at the time we were, you know, we were full every night. There was a lineup out the door. We were getting all these awards and the newspaper was coming to take our picture. And I just like, I, I kind of couldn't care less. Like I was miserable because I was in a relationship with somebody who I didn't trust because of the, because he had been unfaithful and I was living a life that I didn't want. (laughs) Mm, Total self-abandonment. Total on 100% self-abandonment. And I only did it for 16 months. That's how long we were open for, but it felt like every day was, it was, and and like I said, my body was starting to show those signs of breakdown. I became so depressed. I stopped, I stopped doing all those things that I had found love in, you know, anything that caused me to feel I was not in for. So I stopped mm-hmm. going to yoga. I stopped walking my dog. I stopped calling my parents. I stopped seeing friends and I just kind of was like, I chose this life for myself. This is my penance. I got to come here and do this every day. Isn't it crazy that we think we have to suffer? Like we think, which is such a, I don't know if you grew up Catholic, but that's so much of the uh, messaging of the suffering that you brought this upon yourself, that this is karma, that you chose it. I mean, I've heard people say to their children or to their friends, things like, well, you made the choice. You got to live with it right. now. And I'm like, no, you don't. That's actually the point is you yeah. learn from the choice and then you don't live with it anymore. Yeah. That's actually the idea. And there's so many systemic reasons for all of this. Mm. But wow, I there's a roomy quote that is something along the lines of um, why do you stay in a prison when the door's right there? Right. 
Yeah. And the answer, I think, is because I felt so stuck. Yeah. I didn't see a way out. I had, you know, at the time, it was, it's so easy now because I know what the solution was. The solution yeah. was to leave, to leave. Um, and that would mean probably leaving my business or selling my business or closing my business and probably losing my partner. Probably. But that was, well, that was something I wasn't willing to do oh, because okay. again, I was in love. And also I, I was, you know, $150,000 in debt from the restaurant. Mm -hmm. I had four employee, full-time employees that were depending on me for guidance and a paycheck. And um, I had the whole city looking at me, you know, wanting to come in and give us reviews. And, um, you know, I had kicked, we did a Kickstarter campaign to raise money for the restaurants. So I had all these backers that just all these people believed in me and this restaurant. And I thought like, what am I going to do? Just like quit because I'm unhappy. It's like, I signed up for this, so I got to stick it out. So that's what I did for 16 months. Anyone who has lived in any space of like living so far out of what you really want and desire, a day feels like a year, you know, mm -hmm. and I can't even believe I did it for that long. I don't, I don't really know how. I, I know that feeling. It's a, yeah. it's just constant suffering because the, the path that we truly want is lit. It's literally across the river. You know, it's like um, we can see it. Yeah. And we're like, man, oh, but to think of all the things we might lose in that decision, right. people, love, worth, identity. affirmation. Yeah. Like oh, everything identity. has to melt away because it's all false anyways. You know, it's all built on false truths, yeah. but man, I know that it's the desecration of everything we know, but then below all of that is ourselves, which is a fucked and, up truth, uh, you know, because it's hard to and, hold. And it's not only hard to hold, but it's hard to see. Like you said, it's like mm -hmm. the, there's this line and on the other side of the line is everything, happiness, yeah. joy, freedom, sanctuary, faith, love, connection. But you're on this other side and you can't see the other side because it's 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 all blocked up. It's blocked up with your shame and your fear and your worry and your discontentment and your pain. And that's where I was. That's where I was living. I also I think the reason we one of those reasons we stay in that is because there's so many other people staying in it. Oh, so we gosh. actually think that's normal. So we've yeah. normalized suffering. We've normalized that you must stay in things that are painful. We've normalized that we'd rather not cause disruption to the family system, to the oh, truth. Yeah. We'd rather avoid the truth because there's so many people doing it. Instead, you know, you have people who become like, quote unquote, the black sheep of the family who are actually the saviors. They're the people who are inviting connection, truth, alignment. I'm sure that once you, you know, everything melted away. People were like, I can live like this now. And now you live, you know, and inspire. I don't want to get to the end, but it's a good ending. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, well, uh, yeah. So what happened? Ending, yeah. To get to the ending, that's beautiful. I did have to go through some shit. Um, <laughs> so, to go through. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I got to the point where I was, um, it's hard for me to say I, I started seeing a therapist because things were just getting so bad. I was having panic attacks every day. 
I was just so depressed. My family was getting kind of concerned. I lost a bunch of weight. I was drinking a lot, all these things. Well, keep in mind this whole time I'm running like the city's like busiest restaurant. I don't know how I did it, but I started seeing a therapist and um, my first session with her was like, are you depressed? And I was like, no, like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, are you suicidal? Are you having suicidal thoughts? And I said, no, I mean, like, it'd be great if I maybe didn't like wake up all the time, but like, no, I'm not suicidal. Like I was just in such heavy denial about how bad my situation had gotten. Yeah. Um, but I knew it was bad because I had stopped, I'd stopped writing in my diary, which was like a bad sign. Cause I write every day and I have written almost every day since I was 10 years old. And I stopped writing in my diary because I was just like, what's the point? You know, this is going to be my life forever. I'm not, no one loves me. Nobody cares about me. So um, in therapy, you know, we had a couple breakthroughs, I think. um, But I was still kind of avoiding the main conversation, which was that the person that I was not only going to get married to, but also shared a business with was, you know, being pretty abusive emotionally towards me. And um, we just, he just wasn't um, the person that I thought he was. And he had this sort of deviant behavior that he kept, um, you know, he kept exercising and he kept getting caught. And so um, I was at the lowest point. Uh, when I was at my lowest point, I, I, I started to pray. and. Um, I prayed. I'm not really sure who I was praying to or like what I was praying for specifically, but I remember the day because I was a puddle on the floor, just sobbing and praying for something to change. I just remember saying like, something has got to give or I cannot stay on this planet. I'm in so much pain and yet I feel nothing, you know? So a few days after that, (laughs) um, we had been on holidays at our, uh, at the restaurant for summer. So everybody could take the same holiday. And, um, a few days into that holiday, um, my partner said, I want to go to Vancouver for a couple days. And I was like, Oh, like, I thought we were going to have like a staycation and spend time together. He's like, no, no, I, I, I'd really like to get away. Things have been really stressful. There's like this conference I want to go to all these reasons. So I was like, okay, like, I'm going to be understanding. Why don't you go? He left for a few days and I, you know, went about my business and sort of maintained the house and just took time off, started feeling a little bit better. And then um, when he came back, um, he had had a conversation with basically what happened is like he had a conversation with somebody, that person told somebody, that person told somebody. In the end, it ended up coming back to me that he had been involved with one of our employees at the restaurant which to me was like the ultimate um not only the ultimate sign of disrespect and betrayal but also huge legalities issue um yeah that's not okay and then i actually jeopardizing everything yeah putting you at risk in so many ways at the time i was barely even thinking of myself like that's how low i felt i was more thinking of like 
yeah, he betrayed me, but like, what about all this other stuff? Anyways, in the end, it turned out that um, it was not um, reciprocated. And he had basically just been really inappropriate with one of our employees. And um, as a result of that, basically, that um, was the most difficult news that I'd heard that I had no idea how to deal with. And as a result of that, a few, like basically that happened. And then a few days later, I decided enough is enough. That's been too many times. I finally saw that threshold. I saw that line in the sand and it was like, I can stay here with this person that is acting badly, may or may not love me. And I can have all these things that he wants. I can have this restaurant. I can have this success, this piece of my identity, these awards, these accolades. If I cross this threshold and I decide to leave him, on the other side of that is being alone, losing my home, losing our possessions, our collective friends, my dog, my restaurant my staff, also my life savings, because I knew I wasn't going to get any of that back. If you can imagine being in that position to say, to even consider that. But I was, um, I had sort of, I mean, I kind of refer to her as my guardian angel, because I had a friend that I had a conversation with. And she was able to give me some, some advice that made me see that threshold and say, yes, if you cross this line, that is what's waiting on the other side. But you know what else is on that other side? Like freedom. Everything. You. You get, you get your life back. And yes, it means that you don't get to be with this person. And yes, it means that you don't get to live out this dream that is supposed to be your dream. But on the other side of all that loss, pain, discomfort, loneliness on the other side of that is fucking freedom and like there isn't anything other than that so mm. i decided to cross the threshold mm. it was it's like, it's like poking a pin in the side of a rat uh, you know oh it was like what you have you have a beautiful line that you say a lot on your podcast i don't know if you say this a lot but you say like you know you're hit with the cosmic two by four Oh, yeah. This was like getting hit like a cosmic like Mack truck like the this dump was, truck yeah the dump oh this it was huge and um yeah I, I I developed I don't know like you hear sometimes like you know mothers who are like saving a family member and they develop this like superhuman strength and they can lift a car that's kind of how I felt um, that night I had this conversation with my friend and I went home and I was just like hey you gotta go. And he was like, what? And I was like, you got to go and we're closing the restaurant tomorrow. There is a whole yeah. whack load of details and stories within that. But mm-hmm. the, the juice of the story is that I chose myself. And because I, I didn't want to die. Like, I didn't want to, like, even think about suicide. But I, I was also. Arm, oh. I think your arm is getting something. Sorry, go on. Yeah, you didn't cool. want to die. You didn't want it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want that, but I didn't want to go on. I couldn't go on. So I just, I decided it's like him or me. And the loss that came from that decision was, whew, 
it was uh it was like an avalanche yeah I basically one day I had you know a restaurant that was booming and was with you know my partner of seven years and had all this stuff and friends and fame and the very next day I woke up on my dad's couch you know had to sell had to close the business and you know more or less lost everything and basically since that day I've been climbing out of that hole starting again well, it doesn't even sound like a hole it actually sounds like the foundation you know it's like yeah it, it's such a different way of perceiving it but like when we build a dream like that it's all on false pretense, really. It's built upon a person we are having to be to create that, to maintain it. To Like you think of all the ways you felt throughout that adventure, like, gosh, you, you got what you prayed for, you know, and then yeah. it doesn't always come in the container we want. Um, I remember, sorry, go on. Oh, that's, no, that's okay. Well, I was thinking it just reminds me of uh, Abraham Hicks has a line that says, uh, Whenever you wish or declare something, wish for or declare something, the universe will conspire to get you there. But everything that needs to be healed and moved to get there has to get out of the way. And Absolutely. so it will be brought forward. And um, this woman who I heard speaking not long ago, her name is Gangaji. She says that when you step into enlightenment, all the gods and demons of your past will come for you. Oh, how true is that? <laughs> um, right. <laughs> It's funny that you said that, though, because that's actually more or less what my friend said to me that night that caused me to finally see like, oh, I haven't even considered my last option because it's so scary. But what she said to me was like, you told me you prayed recently. And I was like, yeah, because I was kind of embarrassed because I was like, I'm not really religious, but like I was pretty desperate. And I kind of had this moment of just like praying for like one last ditch effort kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And she said, like, what if this is what you prayed for? Like, can't you see that? This is your opportunity. And it didn't, I, it didn't feel like an opportunity. It felt like just absolute destruction, but sometimes those are one in the same. 100% agree. Yeah. Sometimes when we're afraid to tear our own world down, the universe does it for us. <laughs> You know, and it's such a gift, but that's why, you know, when I, when you say I've been crawling out of this hole, I'm like, no, you're climbing a mountain. You're above the surface. There's no hole there. It's inverse. It's the other way. But it's so interesting when it's foreign to be free that yeah. it actually feels like you're climbing, but there's no walls around you, which is such a different, you know, it's like, yeah. how do I build another prison around here? I'll do it in how I tell the story. Yeah. Uh, Some, sometimes starting, even though starting from nothing, you know, feels like the most impossible feat. When you're at rock bottom, it's like, that's all you have. I think that's why I compare it to a hole, yeah. because I think of visualizing rock bottom. And for me, rock bottom, like, was below the bot, like, was below the actual oh, yeah. surface. It was Sorry, like, yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like your bottom me, was so low that it you had a little crater? Yeah, the, a deep crater. <laughs> Um, but you know, that's, that was my starting point. And it took me, you know, that, that day after it was August 17th, 2017. I'll never forget that day because I, I woke up and I, I felt this like feeling that was beyond what relief feels like. Mm -hmm. It was this feeling of like, whatever I do today, it's my, it's my own life. 
whatever choices I make after today, I like, I just had this, this freedom, this, and it was like, I want to make the most of this. I want to be proud of myself. I want to, you know, figure out how I can serve people. I mean, that came later, of course. I definitely mm-hmm. spent, I definitely spent a few weeks like sobbing on my dad's couch. I won't lie. There was a lot of mess to clean up. There was a lot of mess to clean up. I can only imagine. Wow. Like the closing of the restaurant, the legality stuff, the, because that long of a relationship is, I mean, it's a divorce, really. Yeah. There All was, yeah. relational endings are endings. Yeah. Yeah. There was no ring, but there was definitely a divorce. I will say that. Um, and, you know, there was all the nitty gritty, ugly stuff that comes from from that. There was, uh, you know, saying goodbye to our family that we'd built together. There was bankruptcy. There was there was a, it was a lot. And, um, you know, during that time, it was really hard for me to enter back in, even entertain the idea of entering the world of restaurant life again. I was out of a job. So I had kind of started looking for a job. You know, I mean, this all happened a few months after, but I started looking for a job. And I remember just like stepping into a job interview for a restaurant that would have been an amazing opportunity. And I literally walked in and said, Nope, like, I don't want to like it was, it was just so triggering to be back in that space. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Um, so as a result, the, the one final sort of um, piece that I lost was my ability and my, my passion to cook. And to be honest with you, Mark, that it hurt more than all the rest, you know, because it was my whole identity. If you say the name Yoda, people, I mean, in my city, most of the time when you say the name Yoda, people think the little green guy, but if you say, you know, if you say Yoda Olenek, people think chef, that's what, that's what my identity has been built on. Yeah. But all of a sudden I did not want to cook and it was heartbreaking, you know? I bet. And then I went through what I could only call an identity, an identity crisis. <laughs> Spiritual awakening. What? Thank you. <laughs> But Brene Brown calls her identity. And spiritual awakening, it was, you know, and um, all of a sudden I had all these opportunities to do other things. I'd been sort of, I'd only been doing one thing for my entire 20s. All I did was cook. And when I wasn't cooking, I was, I was eating and reading and watching TV shows about food. And all of a sudden, now that I couldn't do that, and I didn't have a restaurant to go to every day, and I didn't have a relationship. I had time to discover um, what else in this life there is to do. Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful time it was, you know. I look back at that time as being the most difficult and painful, probably six months to a year of my life, for sure. And oh, I, I smile when I think of that time somehow because it was. Mm-hmm such a beautiful like opening you know what a gift like I'm so grateful for that time and like thank thankfully I had a parent that was like yeah you can come stay with me maybe indefinitely and I was like yeah it might be it's a funny joke but I might be here for a long time (laughs) you're like yeah I'll take you up I'll be out soon I'm I'm very grateful I have 
yeah, I'm very grateful I had that relationship with my dad and I could go back and have a safe place to stay. Cause I know a lot of people in my position who leave abusive relationships, they don't have that option maybe. Right. So I felt really lucky to have the ability to have a safe space to grow and make plans and discover. And I did, that's what I did. I, I just, I started meditating daily. I traveled a bunch. I started writing like six hours a day sometimes. Um, You know, I went, I I developed, started, you know, as with any um, death, whether it's relationship or, or physical life, you know, you go through sort of the aftershock. And once I went through the aftershock, there were a lot of people that had to fall away. But in the place of those people, there was new connections and deeper bonds with my family and my dog and and all these things. Right. So yeah, I just, I I'm so like just talking about it. It, it, it's taken a long time for me to feel warmly about that time, but I do, I feel so grateful for it. Where are you at now? Um, Well, right now I'm just in this, beautiful space of just being so hopeful for what's to come because I re- I, la- I relaunched my my catering company there is a happy ending to the story because I did find my joy for food again it turns out we didn't break up we just went on a break um <laughs> very healthy break um so I found my passion for food again I was in Europe and I just had this like awesome food experience Um, So I came home and relaunched my company and I've been kind of rebuilding ever since. I also moved out on my own for my first time in my whole life. So now I have a great little, little spot by myself and I'm just kind of like, yeah, just living the, um, the, living in a bachelor pad kind of. Um, But I'm also, what's been the most amazing thing that's been birthed out of this is um, a book. So as I mentioned, I've been a writer for my whole life. And I always, I think I always thought it would be a cool thing to publish a book, but I was really focused on cooking. So that kind of went on the back burner. But basically the day after the restaurant closed, I started working on my memoir and I tell the story. Yeah, I tell the story that I just told you, but in a lot more depth and detail. And um, it's kind of divided into three sections. There's the story of how I got into cooking. And then the middle section is the story of the restaurant and kind of how and why we closed. And then the last part is sort of the aftermath, which I'm in right now. And uh, I've been working on it for two and a half years and it's finally ready. And uh, it's going to be out on April 20th on Amazon. Nice. What's it, it called? It's called Salt and Sour. And it Ooh, is a cookbook. That's a great name. Thank you. It's a cookbook memoir. So it's actually... There's 17 recipes in it as well. So after some of the chapters, if I talk about a food memory, there's a recipe to follow. So it's kind of half cookbook, half memoir, but I'm really, I'm just, I'm just so um, there's been a lot happening with the book in the last couple of weeks. There's been a lot of edit things happening and the cover art just came in and I just got like this author's proof. So it's a really exciting time in my journey as an author as well. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank and you. To yeah. see that uh, your journey just keeps deepening and who you mm-hmm. are and, uh, like who you are authentically. Yeah. It continues to be born and expanded. And um, for the people listening, where can they find you? Because I'm sure they're all inspired by this hero's journey 
as Carl Jung calls it. Or no, it's not Carl Jung. Who calls it the hero's it's, journey? Um, I should know this. I'm taking a psychology course, but I can't remember who said that. <laughs> Someone, yeah, I'm right said now. That. Someone cool um, talked about the hero's journey and you're in it. So yes, please. Where do people find you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Yoda's Words. Um, and then you can find all the info for my book on there when it'll be released and all that fun stuff. I also want to, want to thank you, Mark, because I found your podcast at just the perfect time in my life. Um, a lot of the conversations you've had, especially surrounding relationships and endings and attachments and love has just been, um, just game changing for me in my life. Well, you're so welcome. Thank you for sharing your journey. Cause I'm, I'm, I have no doubt your journey of, of transformation will be very inspiring to a lot of people listening because we want to know you can survive. You know, we want to know that there's light on the other side and knowing that you thought what the fuck's going to happen. And here you are now with a book crushing it in a nice apartment, by the way. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So thank you so much for your time and for sharing. Thank you so much for having me.